Good morning. I trust that we all have fairly different experiences when it comes to uh, the concept of forgiveness. Um, since Alton Hardy was here and, and spoke on uh, forgiveness, I've been kind of sitting in it and dwelling on it. Um, my first remembrance of forgiveness, uh, I was six years old, and I lived, uh, a, a buddy of mine and I, my next door neighbor, we lived next to another house, and in that, ha- that, that house had a, um, a garden in the backyard, and we could get our little grubby mitts through the, um, the fence holes and grab things out of the garden. So uh, we thought it would be a great idea to, to grab a bunch of cucumbers from the garden. We pulled the cucumbers, uh, broke the cucumbers in half. You know, they're nice and moist. Sorry for using that word. But they, um, we, we took them then and went behind these bushes near their, our neighbor's house and uh, dipped the cucumbers into dirt and then drew all over the side of the house. We were six, right? And uh, just, it was sort of a, you could see the formation of our criminal masterminds because the things that we, we'd put our names on the house. Um, so it wasn't difficult to figure out who did it. Uh, my parents, of course, made me and my friend, Matt Mahalski go, go to the, the house and knock on the door and apologize. And they were gracious and quick to forgive us. Um, our parents were also maybe not quite as quick, but they did forgive us. Um, but, but forgiveness, forgiveness is um, an area that in some ways is uh, so entirely and wildly convicting. Every time I hear about it, every time I hear it preached, um, it's, it's an area of the Christian life that I find uh, comes uh, straight to the heart of what it means to follow Jesus. An area that, in all honesty, really very blatantly exposes my personal sin. Um, and an area that's, that's in some ways completely vexing because the message of scripture is quite clear but the practice is at times incredibly difficult so I thought we'd take the next couple of weeks and talk a little bit about forgiveness Um, to do so probably good to talk about what is forgiveness forgiveness literally is letting go of an offense letting go of a, a desire for retribution relinquishing any hope for revenge. It's to extend a drink to someone who has spit in your face, extend a hand to someone who has crushed it, extending a vulnerability, a a personal vulnerability to someone who has abused it. But it is a mark of who we are as children of God. It's a mark of who we are as followers of Jesus. And it is clear through all the scriptures, as forgiven people, we are supposed to be forgiving people. So the starting place, the place which informs our entire discussion, informs our entire approach to forgiveness, is the forgiveness that Jesus extends to us. A forgiveness that's born in love, that's born in sheer and unfathomable grace. Because while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. Yet scripture tells us that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. A forgiveness that comes without strings, comes without limit, without grudge, without a remembering. He is a God who pardons sin and forgives transgression of his people, whose anger is fleeting, who delights to show mercy, who's compassionate on us, who treads our very sins under his foot, hurls our iniquities into the depths of the sea. 
And as recipients of that forgiveness, as those of us who have been forgiven, he calls us to extend forgiveness to others as well. In Luke, Jesus is talking, he says, if your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. And the grounding concept then of forgiveness, the grounding concept is that God has extended forgiveness to us and knowing the depth and nature of our sins against him, we should be willing to extend that forgiveness to others. John Stott puts it this way. He says, God forgives only the penitent and that one of the chief evidences of true penitence is a forgiving spirit. Once our eyes have been opened to see the enormity of our offense against God, the injuries which others have done to us appear by comparison extremely trifling. Now I hear those words that compared to my sins against God, the sins that others could uh, commit against me seem trifling. I hear that, I know it's true, but I don't always feel that to be true. Yet, despite the enormity of our offense to God, by virtue of Jesus' work on the cross, his offering of himself, it so covers us, it so makes us righteous, his forgiveness is so whole that in talking about us in Hebrews, talking about the new covenant people of God, God says, I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. And when God remembers our sins, that's a bad thing. F.F. Bruce said, if people's sins are remembered by God, his holiness must take action against them. If they are not remembered, it is because his grace has determined to forgive them, not in spite of his holiness, but in harmony with it. Under the old sacrificial system, there was an annual reminder of sin. If there is no such recalling of sins under the new covenant, it is because of a sacrifice offered up once and for all. So sit in that for just a second. Sit in this concept of God's forgiveness for us. Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. The effects of my sin have been diverted from me to Jesus. The effects of your sin have been diverted from you to Jesus. When we are tempted to think, that our sin is ever victimless, that our sin is personal, that our sin is relative, or that our sin is hidden. Our deception is laid bare by the reality that our sin is what held Jesus to the cross. That the punishment for our sins he experienced as he hung on the tree. It is hard to comprehend, given that truth, that he would remember our sins no more. That the laundry list of grievances that would destroy any human relationship in a heartbeat, he, in his mercy, would forgive. And that is the context of our call to forgive others. The sort of simple truth, really, when you boil it down is this. There is no sin that anyone can commit against you or against me that is as grievous as the sins that we commit against the Father. Yet he forgives. He calls us as forgiven people to be forgiving and to extend forgiveness. And as far as forgiveness goes, so far, that's pretty clean, right? 
Someone sins against us, seeks forgiveness, asks us to forgive them, and we, knowing that we've been forgiven, forgive them. I, I find that to be fairly clean. I, I have at least a, a, an idea of my sin. Sometimes I see it more clearly than others. I have a small, small grasp of the magnitude of my sin against God. But when you ask me for forgiveness, I am, I am quick to forgive. Um, I hold pretty close to me how many people I've hurt and how deeply I've wronged people and how I've been forgiven and how much my God has forgiven me. So I tend to be fairly quick to forgive. But the waters of forgiveness can muddy very, very quickly. What about situations of serial sin? When the offender asks for forgiveness over and over and over without any plan to change or repent. There are numerous situations that require wise counsel. They require deep discernment, deep, deep prayer, pastoral, maybe even professional counseling. Forgiveness is not easy and it's not clean, but the truth remains that we are to forgive as we have been forgiven. So what I'd like to do is just for a moment to look at um, the circumstances around the sin that most deeply um, confuse, vex me personally, that I find the hardest as I walk and strive to follow Jesus. How do we forgive in situations where we have been wronged and the offender never apologizes or seeks forgiveness, or perhaps has no idea exactly how badly and how deeply he has sinned against us? How do we forgive when there is no repentance? How do we forgive others when they're not repentant, when they're not seeking our forgiveness? Is, is forgiveness not a two-way two dance? If you've sinned against me, but you don't ask for my forgiveness, can I still forgive you? Well, in Ephesians 4 and in Colossians 3, as Paul is talking about living the Christian life, what it actually means to live in this world in its brokenness as followers of Jesus, he gets to the heart of forgiveness. He repeats this idea about forgiveness. In Ephesians 4, he says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, all brawling and slander along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. And then in Colossians 3, we hear the same thing. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other, forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. So we ask, how has the Lord forgiven us? The forgiveness of the Lord is undeserved. It's born of love. It's extended to all who call on his name for forgiveness. But the forgiveness of God by its very nature has far less to do with those of us who have offended and everything to do with the one who is forgiving. Alton Hardy talked about it a little bit on Monday when he looked at Jesus on the cross. When you look at the words of Jesus as he's hanging on the tree, he looks upon those who are crucifying him and he says, Father, 
Forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. And after he said that, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. People stood watching. The rulers sneered at him. The soldiers mocked him. There's an ironic notice above him which read, King of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. They were killing the Savior of the world. Yet Jesus' words are, Lord, forgive them. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And the forgiveness that comes into relief is a forgiveness that takes place between the offended and between our God who forgives us. There was no forgiveness sought from the offenders. In fact, just the opposite. Forgiveness, while ideally involving a repentant offender and a gracious offended, can never be dependent upon the offender. Our forgiveness for others can never be dependent upon the one who has offended us. It cannot be based upon their posture before us. It can't be based on their desire or their willingness to be forgiven. We must forgive. We must let go of our desire for retribution, for revenge. We must lay any desire for justice in the hands of the perfect judge and hear this, the people that you're forgiving don't need to know it. Doesn't that sound, it, it, it's hard, that's hard, and it almost sounds antithetical to truth, but they don't have to know it. We can forgive without someone asking for forgiveness. Now saying that, it's important to note that there's a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. Hear this. Forgiveness and reconciliation are not the same thing. We are called to forgive and to desire and to be people of reconciliation. But reconciliation without repentance is extremely difficult, if not impossible. Restoration to right relationship requires two. So we can forgive. We can let go of our offense. We can let go of our desire for revenge and retribution. We can let go of even wanting the person so badly to know how deeply they have hurt us. In an intimate exchange between us and the God who has forgiven us, we can pray for a heart like his. We can pray that we will see people with his eyes, have mercy like his mercy, but we may not always be reconciled, even in forgiveness. John Stott goes on and he says this, he says, if we can restore to full and intimate fellowship with ourselves a sinning and unrepentant brother, we reveal not the depth of our love, but, in, but its shallowness. For we are doing what is not for his highest good. Forgiveness, which bypasses the need for repentance, issues not from love, but from sentimentality. Reconciliation and forgiveness are two different things, but we are called to be a people who forgive. We forgive not because someone simply seeks repentance, but we forgive because we are called to let go of the offenses that we hold against the people who have offended us. Now, if we stop there, oddly enough, it's falsely comfortable because it seems to paint a picture that is as challenging as it may be, we can forgive and not have to deal with the people 
that we are forgiving. The people that we probably hold deep animosity, deep grudge towards. But Paul throws a huge wrench into those designs in Romans 12. He says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. And then this is the kicker. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. We are called to do whatever we can to live at peace. That means we're called to do whatever we can to be reconciled to our brothers and sisters. We are called to do whatever we can to make forgiveness possible. And I'll be very honest with you, I do not like this part. I do not like this because I think this is the hardest part of forgiveness. We have to admit when we are hurt. We have to be willing to tell the offender that they have sinned against us. Because without us telling them, he may not see his sin. If he doesn't see his sin, he has no chance to repent, and we are not doing what we can, as far as it depends on us, to live at peace with everyone. And my heart does not like saying those words. I I have no problem confessing that honestly before you. My heart chafes at that. Because it means that we are letting go of things that we have held so deeply to. I honestly, it's a little bit like Jonah, right? You remember Jonah is given a message to take to the Ninevites. And instead of taking the message of God's judgment, he goes the other way. And why? Because he knew that once he brought the message to them, there was a possibility that they could repent. And when we bring before our brothers and sisters the sin that they have offended us with, we then open the door for repentance. We let go of revenge and retribution, but we also let go of feeling superior. We let go of the idol of righteous anger. We let go of the secret desire to break someone's nose. We let go of all of the joy of justifying our hearts and allowing them to convince us that the way we feel is okay. We can feed on those things, but the reality is that when we feed on those things, they simply starve and they destroy us. Our food is to do the will of him who sent us. Jesus is the bread of life. And I think it's becoming clear, and it's a piece I didn't mention earlier, forgiveness is costly. The scars from the cross did not disappear when Jesus' glorified body was shown to the apostles. Forgiveness is just hard any way you cut it. It can cause us to lay bare our hurt and our hearts, to extend forgiveness to someone who might laugh at us. It is a long and a hard journey, but we walk it with a Savior who's been there and who promises never to leave us. Forgive because we have been forgiven. I'll close with an illustration that's somewhat close to home, I think, for us. Um, This comes from an article by uh, uh, Vermont Pierre um, about the June 17, 2015 shootings at the church in Charleston. Listen to what he says. 
It's the kind of video you watch with silent awe. There on your screen is Dylan Roof, clad in an orange jumpsuit, his stare cold and flat. As you watch, you soon hear the voices of family members of the people he murdered at the Emanuel AME church prayer meeting. They're in a courtroom speaking to him via closed circuit video. The murders have happened only a few days earlier. Memorial services are still being planned. Pain and loss are clearly present as you hear the emotion in the voices of these family members. But the words they speak to Dylan Roof are words of mercy and grace. Instead of anger and hate, they offer him forgiveness. Many were amazed by what they witnessed from these family members, and it is amazing, but it most certainly was not easy. I fear that in our era of short video clips and changing Facebook and Twitter feeds, we're prone to quickly highlight a video like this, yet fail to fully understand or appreciate all it represents. We need to slow down long enough to consider what it takes to offer this type of forgiveness and what it takes to continue in this spirit of forgiveness. Indeed, many of us have moved on from this story, yet the family members and Emmanuel AME community cannot. The tragedy will always feel near in their memory. They've chosen the path of forgiveness, but let's recognize that this path is costly and this path is long and difficult. Forgiveness does not come cheaply or easily. It always comes at great expense to the one wronged. In some cases, it comes with permanent cost. The wrong parties must take it on the chin, allowing themselves to be physically, emotionally, or spiritually wounded by the offending party instead of seeking an equal measure of revenge. Christians do this in imitation of Jesus, who faced sinful rebels and yet still suffered and died so that we might be forgiven and reconciled to God. Brothers and sisters, we are forgiven people called to forgive. We don't have to pretend that it's easy. We don't have to pretend that it doesn't come at great cost. But as forgiven people, we are called to forgive. We have been forgiven and we are set free. And I pray that God will help us to live in that freedom and to offer forgiveness to all in the same way that Jesus has offered it to us. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, this call is hard. This call is a call that I cannot do on my own, a call that I have been meager at doing. I pray, Father, that by your Holy Spirit, you would make us a community of forgiveness, a community that forgives early and often, a community that looks to our wrongs against you when we compare others' wrongs to us. And I pray, Father, that you will give us the special a strength and courage to inform those who have sinned against us that may not even know it, that they might be afforded the opportunity to repent and to receive our forgiveness. Father, change our hearts so that we might be more like you and more like Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. Good. Stand together, sing doxology. Praise God from whom.